What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. The Loving Peoples are a fantastic and moody reggae band who are based out of Washington, D.C. They have a brand new album, Ladders, which releases on September 15th. Today we talk to the group's guitarist and songwriter, Jorge Pezimenti. We talk about the band's excellent music, but also Jorge's ska-punk past as a member of the group The Decepticons. Also his time in the band The Pie Tasters and the 80s tribute band The Legwarmers. I really like the Loving Poppers. Yeah. And if you had told me that somebody in the Decepticons would eventually be in the Loving Poppers, I would have been like, what? Back in the day, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Very different bands. Two completely different bands. I cannot believe these two bands actually share musical DNA. Mm-hmm. As we've covered before, Decepticons, my main bit of history with them is the Animal Chin song, FTDB, Fuck the Decepticons Bus. Yeah. And the stories Animal Chin told me about their bus. But we got some news stories about it. Yeah, yeah. Jorge did a little fact checking with us. We love a good fact check here on In Defense of Ska. I think a good place to start would be to talk about the Decepticons specifically i know you heard us talking about some decepticons lore on a different episode and you wanted to set the record straight yeah you want to set the record straight well yes that's true so i heard of the the podcast and i was like all right let me let's see let's check out an episode and i was just kind of flipping through and i was like dude from fallout boy okay that that's unexpected let's see what this is about so just while I was folding my laundry, listening to his uh, his Scott Pedigree, you you brought up the name of of my my shitty high school band. That was it was unexpected <laughs> to say the, to say the least. Um, yes, I think it was 
Uh, it was Animal Chin related. This was all actually news to me. Animal Chin has a song called FTDB, which <laughs> stands for Fuck the Decepticons Bus. Fair enough. Really? <laughs> so you, you, you weren't aware? You weren't aware that they had... I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I was probably like, uh, you know, completely naively thinking that we were uh, completely uh, friendly with everyone. No, no. I, so I guess the story is that we had... So we had this big purple bus uh, that, as you will have, you know, we were like... Um, we needed a... We were like 19 years old or something. So somehow we had a... a full-size bus and no one seemed to think this was a problem to let us drive this all around but um it, like when we bought it we bought it from some like metal band um and they'd up they'd converted they'd put like bunks in it it was kind of like tour ready i had like a little lounge area in it i mean super crummy don't don't, don't get it twisted it was not a nice but for us it was like wow <laughs> this is amazing um but what it didn't have womp womp it didn't have a bathroom in it so well we're like you know um, we're, we're problem solvers. So we're like, obviously we need to get like a beer bong, um, and sort of attach it to the, you know, like the, the area where the kids walk up, you know, on the yeah. bus, yeah. that part, you know, we're like, well, um, let's just like attach one there. And, and so we pee and like, it will gently roll out of the bus onto, you know, not in the bus. Yeah. Uh, and yes, and I I heard the interview and I just like I yeah, it was completely slanderous to imply that we would use like a 2 liter bottle. I mean, like <laughs> come on. Give us some some credit here, guys. I I will say that just like as an adult now with kids and having been humbled by life and learned empathy, like just the idea that <laughs> we would even do that is 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 uh, revolting and just like it doesn't even seem like some, I mean, you know, it just doesn't seem real, honestly. It seems like a, a lifetime ago. But I will say, I, I did also listen to the uh, the Animal Chin episode, and uh, I, I, well, I can't recall his name. I'm sorry, but he was super yeah. Jamie, super seemed totally like a nice guy, very gracious, and like if anything, I like really related with a lot of what he was talking about, just in terms of uh, his trajectory uh, through musical life or whatever but i will i think one of you guys mentioned that they were that they when they were on tour they would switch drivers mid mid uh you know while they were on the, on, on the highway they would switch drivers so you know i don't know i just say so a little shade just say to the women in general gen, when, <laughs> men and women of the jury which would you rather have <laughs> flip, uh, flying towards you on the highway some ska pee or, you know, a Final Destination ska van. And then actually, when I said it, actually, now I'm saying it out loud and it doesn't seem so clear which would be worse, honestly. If you had to pick uh, a vehicle that you had to drive from one city to the next, would you pick, this, the, would you pick the van that maybe had a little bit of a pee, <laughs> pee situation? Or would you pick the van where yeah, you're probably taking your life in your hands? So it's, it's, it's a toss up, really. It's a toss up. <laughs> I want to know what's the diet of the, well, I'll, I'll tell you what the diet is of the people who are in the P van and it's probably going to be Taco Bell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Taco Bell should just sponsor every ska band. Well, I don't think so anymore. And I, I'm glad you brought this up because when I was in my day, you could, for $5, you could, you would have like a $20 bag, 20 pound bag of Taco Bell and $5 does not get you 20 pounds 
of anything these days. Oh yeah, for sure. But that said, I still think Taco Bell is one of the cheapest options as far as like road food. Yeah. Yeah. That could be, that could be. Unless you're going to get a hot plate in the, in the van, in the bus and right, right. ramen or something. That was the idea with the van or the bus, I should say. Yeah. Did you play with Animal Chin much? Honestly, I don't really. Re- I think we did. Obviously, we did. I know we like that iteration of my my shitty high school band played uh, a lot with ME330. Like we mm-hmm. did a good amount of touring with them. So I I'm guessing, and like this is a good time to mention that my my brain is a husk, honeycomb, and <laughs> I, an addled Swiss cheese. But oh yeah, not. And any number I give is wrong. Any year I give, it could be five years off in either direction. But uh, I, I think we did play with them. And certainly the name is familiar and I knew of them and all, you know, they were like one of those bands that, you know, like that was around then. Uh, but I don't really recall, to be perfectly honest. I, I assume we did some ME330 shows with them. That would make sense. And M- Amy 30 and, and Animal Chin had the same booking agent and we had the same booking agent. So, Oh, I don't tell me the name. Oh my God. Give me the, uh, give me the uh, initials. Well, you don't have to, we don't have to get into this. Oh. <laughs> give me the initials. Uh, I mean, the first two letters are O-Z. Oh, 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 Ozark or something. Oh, okay. That, that uh, honeycomb's not as empty as you think it is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> See, <laughs> uh, yeah. Is that right? Ozark. Yeah. Ozark talent. Steve Ozark. Steve Ozark, yes. Okay. Yeah, so like my the original high school band was very much that. Like starting in high school and just kind of, hey, let's start a band. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I'm sure like half your guest was in the marching band or whatever. Um, so we started a band and we learned how to write songs in that band and, uh, you know, learn how to record, learn how to do all these things, travel with the band, book the band, whatever. But then like after high school, like the, the good citizens went off to college and like the rest of us, the bums sort of, uh, became the, the second, the sort of the second <laughs> phase of the band, which, and that's the one that toured quite a bit with, that's the, with a purple bus and the NBC thirties and all this. Septicons, you had two LPs, right? A robot rock and Roger brain. <laughs> That's correct. And I think yeah. a couple seven inches as well. Get in the Ring, that was an EP you released as well. <laughs> yes, that's correct. It's all, all these all these words are just sending me into like a self-loathing shame spiral just um <laughs> <laughs> I, I I contemplated like, you know what? I'm going to do this interview. I should go back and listen. Um but then I was like that's probably a terrible idea. So I didn't. So you did not you did not listen. I did not. And and I'm sure if I did, I've been like, well, who am I kidding? I probably would have been like, this is horrendous. And I'm, I'm totally embarrassed, but maybe I would have been, I'm sure there are moments I would have been like, oh, you know, it's hard to like, those, those are fun times, you know? So even if the music isn't exactly what I wish it was, like, I don't regret really any, you know, I made like some lifelong friendships and learned how to play music really with people and all that. And those are like formative years for me. So. I listened before this interview. Oh boy! Did you were you able to find the uh, the write your brain anywhere? No, I, I Robot Rock is on YouTube. I listened to Robot <laughs> Rock. Could could not oh, find Rock your brain. 
Oh, th- uh, that's that's sarcastic. Thank you. Thank God, by the way. So you got to listen to me at 15 as opposed to me doing an NBC 30 pastiche at 19. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say this about uh, Robot Rock. Horns horns are uh, solid. Got a good horn (laughs) section. (laughs) That is... Is this like... I mean, uh, yeah, 100%. I agree. I mean, all I got to say is the, uh, you know, the marching band... That's all I got to say about that. There was one comment on the YouTube page that said, um, I don't know who that person was, but they said, hey, I played oboe on this record. Is that <laughs> is that factual? Is there an oboe on the record? I honestly don't know, to be honest. I don't recall that. And I don't know. <laughs> it seems it seems crazy that someone would lie about it, though. So <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm going to go ahead and infer that there must be an oboe on that record. But I don't really recall. So there wasn't an oboe in the band normally. Oh no, we didn't. We didn't. We were already cutting the check thirteen ways. You know, we weren't going to cut an, o- an oboist into the. How dare! Wait, how many people? How many people were in the Decepticons? I, I'm. I'm. I honestly don't remember, but it was just like pushing the envelope. You know, like in the structure, the stages, those poor stages. You know, like I. <laughs> I. You know, it was like we were really young and we were like very rigid in the rules of Sky. And, you know, we're going to say pick it up six times and we'll do halftime breakdown. You know, it was like um, it was, you know, we were young. We were dumb. But there were a lot of us. It was like we were we'd never said no to anyone. Apparently there was an oboe player that I don't even remember. So (laughs) you play oboe. Come on, get in here. Let's go get in the purple bus. You know what? I only yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Definitely. We want two reads. Like if you play two reads at the same time, we're we're into it. We're pro that. <laughs> what was your entry point into ska, ska punk at, at this age? Um, I when I was like thirteen, I started in. Uh, I started playing guitar like right before I went into high school, and it was just kind of like the great. This was in the early nineties. This would have been like ninety two. So, uh, you know, the great cassette exchange uh that happens with the older kids just specials operation ivy more noise and other disturbances and not just that Mm -hmm. stuff you know like sly and the family stone meters just like basically you go in there and and the older kids kind of let you know what's going on some hardcore you know we're um, we're right outside of dc so a lot of like discord who are the local bands that uh were happening in DC at the time that played ska. Well, certainly the pie tasters. Mm-hmm. That was like, that was like, you know, big time. Um, God, I'm, 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 I'm so, I'm, I almost couldn't do this interview just for fear that I'm going to forget so many people. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that kind of, that's kind of thing that keeps me up at night. But so I'll just keep the shit, the, the list short, but yeah, I think the pie taster, the, the uh, checkered cabs, the, instigators these are the bands i'm remembering like right now um but yeah those were the big ones i guess that i can think of right now okay so then no you're gonna have to you're gonna have to dig in your brain for this question oh boy hopefully hopefully, okay Uh i noticed that uh, a a label called two hep records put out your music yeah so two hep were our buddies they put out um i think well actually the pie tasters I'm actually remembering this now. Put out um, 
<clears throat> the first record on their Slugtone label, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, and then two half were our buddies who had this label. They did the um, this aren't two tone compilation, which I don't know if you guys recall that. I don't have any rem- memory of that. It was like this is like in compilation times. And they also did a Metallica. Uh, yeah, that Metallica. I remember that one. Yeah, so they did this compilation, but they were we were like those were our buddies, and and they put out a record and. Yeah, so that was, and they they actually booked us quite a bit, hooked us up a lot. Um, so yeah, two hep. I remember two hep. Met thirty was on that comp. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a lot. You know, the your usual suspects were on there. Like I said earlier, that that one definitely got around. I don't know what kind of numbers they did, but I I remember that one. And there was a lot of comps back in the day. I sort of wish the second. Uh, record the mc31 sounding one not really i mean just our approximation of it but we were just like so on their jock that one maybe if you'd heard that one i wonder what you would have thought of that one Aaron. i'd be interested to know I'll, I'll get you i mean just like every one of my vanity projects there's a million copies in my garage so all right yeah we need to hear it so did something because ha- the Robot rock. I, I don't. I don't hear clear ME three thirty influences so much. Oh no, not at all. No, you know what? I think like what I was saying about um, how we were like really rigid with our ska rules because we were, you know, we were young and stupid or whatever. Like I, I remember going to some show at the nine thirty club in DC, uh, and walking in and ME three thirty was playing. I never even heard of them, and they were doing, I think, the song uh, "Fat and Married." You know that song. Mm-hmm. And I just, and it was just like, okay, there's like this intro and then there's this guitar thing. And, you know, it was just like, it sort of like broke my brain a little bit in terms of like, oh, I, I can, we can write songs in a different way. You don't have to just like follow these, these, you know, these tropes. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So, and then they just became our buddies and like, we actually like, you know, slept in the occasional uh, hotel or whatever every once in a while. And so we just kind of like hung our hat on basically be, being like their little brothers or whatever, or, or trying to be anyway. And that included completely like aping their style. <laughs> well, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> when you send me a copy of Rot Your Brain. Wait, for real though, how many copies of Rot Your Brain do you think you still have? I don't know. Not that many, actually. I think someone found like a box. You know, I can get you some, um, some patches that I know you're looking Hell forward yeah. to that I silk screened when I was like, you know, this was like in the, this would have been like the mid, mid to late nineties. So yeah. we were like super in it, earnest conversations about how we're going to do it and all this shit, you know, uh, <laughs> and maximum rock and roll booking stuff, you know, sleeping on floors. Yeah. Book your own fucking life. Exactly. All those, all those, you know, all those things that that so many of us were into then so what what ended the decepticons um i'm not sure really i feel like part of it was that i started playing with the pie tasters the other thing was we actually kind of became power pop bands at that point like power pop in the you know raspberries big star cheap trick way or whatever not in the like socal punk way um so we but we did we became different bands that were like kind of that we probably pivoted first and we were sort of more just like a, uh, mm, I don't know what to say, like more like new, maybe new wavy or just like, I think like probably the same thing that all these 
guys and gals that were my age at that time did like they just started everyone started trying to sound like elvis costello at some point mm-hmm. uh yeah. and then you have like your steve naive keyboards you know and then that just kind of became the thing um but again like i was still getting my ska rocks off with the pie tasters yeah uh, so for sure yeah so i, I kind of just fizzled out in that in terms of but i i don't remember i don't there wasn't like we're breaking up i don't really I don't really recall the specifics. Yeah. It just kind of formed yeah. into other stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Before we, before we abandon talking about the Decepticons uh-huh, from the rest you, of my life, are you aware of, are you aware of how many other Decepticons <laughs> bands there were? I, you know, I, I think there was like a, first of all, like, let me just on that, like we were so young and so naive. Like we didn't know how like, um, nostalgia worked and that like duh yeah you know, we'd watched the this, we were into gi joe you know transform all the the hits of the day um we were like oh we're gonna name it after this the villain on the show we having no like foresight knowing that obviously duh they're gonna make a million movies about this in like five years or whatever you know we were just um but i know that i believe there was like a techno band or something or i'm sure i'm saying it wrong or some sort of edm like band um that okay do you know, but I think you're about to let me know about the Decepticons Oboe Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a Decepticons or Oboe Orchestra. I just remember in the late 90s, there was there was you guys. Uh-huh. There was one that spelled it with just an S. Oh, it's so lame. With an S? I know. Yep. Losers. Boo. No good. What did the De- Decepticons with an S, what kind of style did they play? I don't even know. I just remember seeing it on a flyer. I can tell you that they're better. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's just just what i don't even need to hear you're just it. playing the odds yeah yeah just yeah, yeah. i mean they, they knew to put an s at the end so that's just and then there was the decepticons from sacramento is that the full name a they, they were a hardcore band oh, okay and it was spelled d-i-s-e-p-k-t-i-o-n-s <laughs> Well, so okay. they really fucked up. Well, in that case, I can tell you that we were better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Unequivocally. Just kidding, because I don't want those guys to come, you know, beat my ass. If they were a hardcore band, probably. Yeah, they're coming for you. I know, I know. They're listening right now. They're actually really good. but Oh, were they really? Fine. Yeah, they were great. Cool, cool. They, they had, I mean, it looked crazy, though, having your names spelled that way. I think that was like a thing for a while. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that was a thing. I'm sure it's like still a thing. I always say that it was a thing for like, it's not when I, I'm sure everything's still a thing, but. Well, there's all of these, there's always these weird tropes. Like in the mid two thousands, there was the whole, like taking the vowels out of your name. Oh, nice. And that was kind of whack. And, and then there's, uh, there was turning all the A's into V's or the U's into V's. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. My favorite is an artist that would like capitalize like one letter in the middle of the word. Oh, nice. Yeah, like the the paper chase used to do that. They'd capitalize the A's in their name. That's cool. Hey, whatever. <laughs> whatever gets you through the night. <laughs> whatever works, right? Yeah, yeah. I've worked uh, I've worked at like newspapers and done like music journalism for since like 2009. Yeah. One of my editors I worked with for a long stretch, he his rule was he under no circumstances were we allowed to adhere to the artist's stylization when writing their name. Really? Yeah. If their name was like no caps, like the first letter, no capitalization, but that thing, no, we're, we're capitalizing their <laughs> first letter. Wow. If it was nice, a, you know, if it was a capitalized T in the middle of the word, nope, 
not doing that. That was the journalism standard that he adhered to. And therefore I did. Yeah. So cool. What do you think of that? Cool hipster bands from the mid two (laughs) thousands. I sort of love it, honestly. Yeah. That guy sounds like a pain in the ass to work for, but also sort of my hero. No, he's super nice guy. Super nice. But okay. He like rules occasionally like that. Nice. All right. So, I want to talk about two separate instant instances that you had with the police. With the police? Not the band. With the, the Copeland? <laughs> oh my God. The first one I want to talk about is uh, with your, ba- your, your 80s band, your 80s cover band, the Leg Warmers. Okay. So you're playing the Kansas House. This is like oh 2001. And yeah, yeah, mid, yeah. mid Eye of the Tiger, police come and shut the show down. Yeah, so this was like, this is like a, a house that was like big in, in DC lore in terms of like hardcore shows and all these things. So yeah, so, and we're playing we're playing eighties covers at this house party. So like this idea that a house where like is more typical to hardcore where they have a eighties heart covers pit. stuff that I I do, it was very it was all very you know every all tongues were firmly in cheeks but um. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't just hardcore. Like it was like several steps past hardcore too. You know, they would play <laughs> like stuff I wouldn't even know what it would be called. But just like, um, uh, just and I lived across the street, so it would be like on the weekends. It would just be like you know you could hear it everywhere. So it was just funny to us that that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. It was I have the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you end up playing that? house were you just friends and they said that'd be cool oh, yeah we're, we played there all the time i mean we well like i said i lived across the street like we we lived there was like three houses on the street one of which was this punk rock house that always had shows uh so yeah we were we were buddies and yeah they were like come play come play everybody wants to rule the world. And we're like, okay, we will. <laughs> Except we only got a couple tunes in and, <laughs> and five uh, was like, I don't think so. Not on my watch. So, but they gormers normally played like bars and like stuff where cover bands played. No, we were just like, honestly, we were just starting. It was just like, we were doing it as a goof. Like actually I had seen another, uh, eighties <laughs> cover band there. <laughs> and it was like, you know, very new wave kind of like cars and, the squeeze XTC, like the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we're like, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> but yeah, so that was it. I, I don't, it, it was never, no, there was no, there was never like, uh, any problem with the fact that there was an eighties cover band. This is also in like the year 2000, I think, or something like, yeah. Or I don't know. I could be getting it. No, I think it was 2000, 2001. 2001. Like is, so this was uh, like the year I got. Yeah, man, you do your research. Did that wind up being the last Leg Warmers show? Oh no, that, that actually that that is a, a a joke band that like actually like has bought me houses. So, <laughs> so you actually wow. got onto the uh, you got onto the cover scene then? Oh yeah, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, what's what, wow. that's what's up? What, what what are some shows? What's what's like a, a bigger type of show that uh, the, the Leg Warmers have played? Oh. um... I don't know. It's just mostly like a soul crushing corporate events, but just that like paying very, very well, you know? Okay. How, how well does a well-playing gig pay? 
I, I, I cannot get into the specifics. <laughs> Come on. I find that to be a, a ghost uh, request. And I, I, I would prefer that we move on to the next question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's allowed me the luxury to do have like a super easy life, frankly, where I just like, you know, play my guitar, write tunes and raise my, my boys. Nice. So, so leg, is leg warmer still happening? It's still happening. Damn. That's awesome. What about the Kansas house? Did that? Oh no, I think that's like a, a guy, it's like a Dunkin' Donuts or some shit now. Nice. I don't remember. I, I don't know. They, I, I, I've, I rarely leave my bunker to be honest, like at all. Um, so I don't know. I haven't been there in a while, but I'm pretty sure they tore all that down. Like that's all like condos or something now. As it goes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So uh, next incident we want to talk about, uh, I believe was in the mid two thousands at a pie tasters gig. You're a bass player. You're the bass player for the pie tasters now. Yeah. Uh, Show's about to start. You're in the back alleyway. You got to take a piss. Uh, Can't hold it. Right. Uh, While you're pissing in the back alley, the, the police show up, take you in. Yes, they do. This was in Savannah, Georgia. I believe it was the Velvet Elvis then. The okay. venue, I mean. I had to go very badly. Um, and there was a line. And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> There's an alley right here. And like, this is like what people do. They pee in the alley. It was St. Patrick's Day, though. And, and unbeknownst to me, they basically make all their money in a year, like uh, arresting idiots peeing in alleys so like uh as far as it's not really like i i they took me in and it was you know handcuffed me dragged me through the streets uh basically made a spectacle of it but uh it's not on my record but i had to pay all kinds of money and share the cell with some like bleeding some dude who was bleeding very hard all night and uh, but uh yeah I, I, and then, like, years later, the guys were like, dude, they told you, like, a hundred times not to pee in the alley. Like, I didn't remember that part. <laughs> but, so it's probably, I mean, just like everything else, it's my fault. Now, I hear that the pie tasters still played that night, and they just can't, they just got a bass player from the audience. Yeah, it was like, our, actually, our friend, our friend John uh, knew-ish the songs. It's sort of like when Keith Moon passed out and that kid came up and played drums. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine like when I was a kid playing guitar, I, you know, and you're like, I'm going to practice because I'm going to go to the show and the guitar player is going to fall down and I'm, they're going to be like, does anyone know the song? And I'm going to go up and I'm going to know the song. Um, so yeah, that's what actually happened. <laughs> but you were back in the band the next night. Oh yeah. It sucked. It did suck, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, people go through a lot of <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just not ideal but uh and like like i said luckily i don't as far as i know it's not on my record though somehow you know about it so <laughs> so somewhere somewhere it exists in the world and now we're just like it's, reinforcing it's it. ways it's not on your police record but it's on your media record well i don't even know what the fuck that is but it sounds awesome <laughs> you must have all like you get you got like some cia files it's in your file. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so when did you join, when did you join pie tasters? Um, I think it was like probably around 2000, 2001. They, they were doing a tour with, uh, 
Joe Strummer and the Muscaleros, like mm-hmm. a, a, about a month in the U.S., and their their guitar player couldn't do it. And they knew me because I'd known them for a long time. We played much shows and stuff. So they asked me to do it, and I did it. And it was fun. It was really cool. So I know that uh, their, uh, their bass player, Todd, had passed away around then, or maybe a little bit after that. Yeah, it was actually after it. Like, it was he... He was, he was leaving the band, like on good terms or whatever, but he was leaving the band. Um, so I was like, I'll play bass. I'd never really played bass. I played a little bit, you know, but. Um, and I remember actually, he, we, like the last practice he came to, he showed up and, and he, uh, he was like playing bass. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess maybe he's changing his mind. I don't know why. And then he he wanted to play the song. Do you know the song uh, Freak Show by the Pythasers? I don't know if you know that song. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's one of his tunes. Probably one of the ones he was happiest with that he wrote. Because he, he just wanted to like play it one last time. And then he like handed me the bass and was like, here you go. Here's the bass. Wow. And then, yeah. so, he, so he passed away like shortly after then? Just- I think, I'm going to guess again, you know. I'm going to say maybe a year, a year and a half, maybe less. Honestly, I don't remember. It wasn't too much, too much later. And that was obviously horrendous, horrendous. Yeah. The, the record turbo said he played on that record, right? No, that's me. Oh, that's you. Okay. That's me. I'm playing. He's not on that. He's I'm playing on that and I'm on the cover, but like turbo was his like alter ego. So the record was like kind of dedicated to him then. Yeah, I think that that was the idea with the name and the Yeah. With Turbo, you played on it. Were you involved with any of the songwriting or were you kind of coming in while No, I wrote I wrote a good bit of that one actually. I don't remember. Oh, okay. I'd have to see I'd have to see the 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 tracks on there. I don't remember, but I think I probably wrote like 6 or 7 of them, maybe a few oh. more. It's the next one that I wrote pretty much all of, the one that no one knows about. All day. That's correct. Well, of course, you know about it. But um, yeah, that one was one one where I really kind of took the reins at that point. In terms of in songwriting, that is. Turbo and All Day, I think, are both really good Pie Tasters records. For one thing, I think the recording is a step up. The, the, the recording, the quality of the recording is a step up from the earlier Pie Tasters records, even though I like the earlier ones. But Sonically, I feel like Turbo and All Day is like an improvement. The gro- the grooves I feel like are kind of kind of a little more a little more energy, a little more tighter. And then th- then I would say also there's like a, there's a lot more like '60s '70s influence. I'm not sure if that's your doing. I that is me probably. Well, just like in terms of I was you know well we were all listening to this, pie tastes were always sold as like ska soul, but I definitely like leaned on the. Uh, the 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 white boy soul mm-hmm. our, our approximation of like 60s soul which sure. was what we were listening to you know a lot of yeah the, a lot of soul on turbo i th- i feel like um all day has like a lot of soul elements but more with the with jamaican rhythms yeah that's probably true it's a definitely a good blend yeah yeah it's a good blend of like soul and and uh ska rock steady in my opinion well thank you um, I think with like almost uh, probably every tune on that record before I even like brought it to the band, I kind of went through 
all the acceptable genres, uh, which to me was always like um, any genre that was on London Calling uh, with like, I would basically file it through every one of those genres, like the chord, I mean, the chords and the melodies uh, until I found the one that like I thought made the most sense. We talked about the Decepticons going from sort of like having strict rules about ska to like the next record being very like in the vein of ME330. And now we're in the 2000s and you have like a different palette of music you're bringing to the table. What sort of connects this did you change or kind of expand your songwriting? I think I think part of it is like this might be a post hoc romanization, but my dad uh, was a drummer in Argentina, and he played like he played. I don't want to say tra- like New Orleans jazz. Basically, he played in I guess what they call Dixieland. I don't know what they call it now, but and just my whole life, we were listening to that kind of music and just New Orleans jazz and a lot of like. Fats Domino, stuff like that. So, like, I like to think that somewhere in in the in the cradle, like, I was being fed the same music that would eventually like influence Jamaicans to create uh, the ska. But I think another big thing that changed from, I guess, like uh, when I was in in high school and stuff, I, I think the word energy was like a big buzzword, like energy, energy. Oh, the band, like, it was like the most virtuous thing a band, uh, the, the, the best trait they could be would be like that energy, you know, but then mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, I, I kind of, I think that like the groove thing sort of took over a bit more. And I think part of it was that I got the music like dirt compilation, the Desmond Decker compilation on Trojan. I don't know if you guys know that one. It's basically yeah, like his, all his pretty much majority of his rock st- steady tunes. That's when like Lynn Tate, the guitar player, Lynn Tate, like really, uh, uh, I really got deep into that and that's just kind of what I wanted to listen to at that point. So I don't know. I just kind of went back and that, that also with just like listening to so much sixties um, soul, just like black American music from the sixties and seventies, you know, that was basically it at that point. Yeah. The, the rock steady era of Desmond Decker is my favorite of his of his. And I think it's one of the best versions of that music as well. Yeah, for sure. And that opened the door for like all the other artists too. You know, I also, the, because you'd go to tower records uh, and you would just go to, you know, the, the punk section, the ska section, whatever. And then you would basically have to buy from what they had. So that's when I found that Desmond Decker record, which I don't, you know, I I think why was it, I knew Desmond Decker because we all had like the clubs, ska like all those uh, intensified ska like all those compilations that were like the big ones, um, yeah. That everyone seemed to have the tape, but that's when I like I I kind of became I think I became more of like a completist. I also found like Heptones uh, Night Food, which is a kind of a random record by the Heptones, but that was also like in the, in the ska section, and I was like I, I think it was like in the Hepcat section, like someone had put it in the wrong thing. But uh, I just like, man, I listened to that record like endlessly on repeat. So what was it like to join the Pie Tasters? Because you were a fan in the 90s, right? Yeah, it was. It was It was cool. It was like sort of, cons- uh, I don't know how much you remember about the Pie Tasters at that time, if you know anything, but it was like sort of uh, constant after school special vibes. Oh, what do you mean? 
I just mean, you know, there were, there were, there were, there were drinks, there were, there were substances. There was just, it was just like the, you know, everything was at 10, like the party was at 10. Yeah. Okay. And that's cool. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it just, I had to like acclimate myself because I was just like, for the most part, my whole high school career was spent in my bedroom um, learning how to play every Beatles and Led Zeppelin song, you know. Uh, I didn't get out much other than to play shows and stuff. So it was cool. I mean, I, I was in the Pie Tasters, I think, like 10 years, maybe something like that. You could probably tell me. But I mean, we we traveled it all, you know, all over the U.S., did a ton of Europe and South America. So it's some of my, my best memories is spent with those guys. And I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not technically, I don't know that I'm technically not a pie taster. I mean, like I, I sometimes occasionally show up and play like second guitar, which is to say the cherry on top, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't want to do any guitar solos or anything. I just want to like, just add little, you just want little, a vibe. I just want a vibe, man. <laughs> yeah. I want no responsibility. And I've gotten, I've let it's gotten away from me a few times where I was like, if this is like the Jorge Pesamenti experience, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just like shredding my balls off. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't seem to mind. There's a couple of live recordings I, that, that were a little bit, a little funny. Now didn't, uh, didn't pie tasters uh, back James Brown in the 2000s? Yeah. How's that for cred? How do you like that? Yeah. how that happen? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, the local, like big alternative radio station, WHFS had, they would have these like festivals. I think this was like a Christmas one or something at like the MCI center and they wanted James Brown, but they didn't want to pay for his band because that's a lot of, that's a lot of motherfuckers. So, uh, they were like, well, let's get the pie tasters. That makes perfect sense. They have horns. They're so <laughs> incredibly soulful. No one can possibly tell the difference between the JBs and the pie tasters. No, so we we recorded like four or five like of his standards, the ones that he wanted us to do, sent them to him, and he gave the okay. And then he came for a rehearsal, which was amazing, because um, it was James Brown, and he looked like yeah. James Brown. And I mean... <laughs> He like had like a bedazzled like one piece. I can't even describe. I mean, you can imagine. Um, but it was it was amazing because you know he's like uh, a notorious ball breaker. So I'm like, what's he gonna say to our our you know our cracker asses up here trying to play some <laughs> some soul music? And James Brown, who like is, is who find finds like Fred Wesley and like the best players in the world what the fuck is he gonna think about us but anyway he was super gracious in fact like he could tell that we were all a little bit like nervous because here is arguably the most important musician of the last hundred years if you take you know his whole history from from his his early r&b to the funk to like how that how much hip-hop comes from him and all that uh so he was like i'm gonna tell a joke i'm I'm gonna spare you the, the the impression but he he said he was gonna tell a joke for us so he starts telling the joke. Are you guys familiar with the joke of um, Tonto and the Lone Ranger being surrounded by 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 uh, Indians? Do you know this joke? I don't know if you know it. I I, I think I know it. Yeah. So it's like basically he's surrounded. They were surrounded by Indians, and Ton, and Lone Ranger says to Tonto, "Oh, well, you know, um, we've had it this time, buddy. You know what?" Do I, and and Tonto says, "What do you mean, we white man?" 
That's the joke, right? So I know the joke. He starts telling it. And I've never felt more like a sycophant in my life where I'm just like, I'm in the Memphis mafia and Elvis is telling us a joke. Cause I'm like, I got to wait for the part where the funny happens. And I just, uh, so he's telling the joke and he's like being like weirdly specific about the number of Indians. He's like, in front of them, there are 146, you know, and he's going through every, and to the East there's 300, you know, and I'm just sitting there waiting, waiting to, you know, then at the end of the day, it was actually funny because it was James Brown telling you a joke, you know. Um, so, yeah, that broke the ice. And we just went and we rehearsed. And he was, like, totally cool as can be. And we were doing Sex Machine in E-flat because, I guess, you know, back in the day, they would change the speed on the tape all the time. And just, like, oh, let's speed it up a little bit. That sounds good. Yeah. So, I guess he played it in D. We were doing it in E-flat because we learned it from – and he was, like – sort of sheepishly at asking if we could do it in D and we're like, dude, yeah, well, let's do it in D, whatever you want, man. And then the day of the show was really cool because we showed up, we're all in like our suits, not what with like without tie. So I like, I felt like I was like in Booker T and the MGs at, at Monterey pop or whatever. I was like, we are the coolest motherfuckers here. Like we are with James Brown and we're his band. And like Billy Corgan is like knocking at the door to like try to get into like, you know, to meet him or whatever but as soon as the show started it was like every all the rehearsal went right out the window he's just like points to toby our guitar player and he's like solo you know <laughs> well, I, I can tell you that i've i've played i don't know how many shows in my life like a, a lot of them and even like in the early ones i was never ever nervous but that was a show i was actually like i was like i was a little bit scared on that stage sure but it all worked out and they can never take it away from us. Oh, and like, I think the next day he was like on Howard Stern or something. And he was like, you know, big upping the pie tasters. And uh, even like when he came out, like right before we went out, he's like, do you guys have any like walk on music? So we, we played one of my tunes from turbo, like one of the heads from one of my tubes. So like, you know, that's always, that gives me a warm feeling. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, not only is he the legend that he is and, and the important figure that he is, but yeah, his his reputation for being having no patience for any mistakes whatsoever. Like that is that just sounds like nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah. That's so nerve wracking. It's a lot of like mind games and stuff too, you know. I think a lot of the a lot of band leaders, you know, Buddy Rich, all those there's a lot of those those band leaders and they want it how they want it. I mean, that first James Brown live at the Apollo record, I think from like 63 or whatever, where the transitions are like seamless and from one song to the next, and they're not even like remotely similar tempos. That was, that was a really important record for me in terms of what I wanted to do live. Like from, from the day I heard that to the rest of my life, I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's jump forward to the Loving Poppers. Yes, sir. This project started, I think, what, 2019 or a little earlier than that? I think earlier. I think, God, I don't know, man. But it's recent. It's way more recent, yeah. I, I, I think a little bit earlier than that. I think, but I really don't know. I should know that, though, shouldn't I? <laughs> let's, go ahead and say two, let's just go ahead and say 2017. Okay. 2017 for the record is so Chris, uh, I don't know if you know Catbite, the drummer for Catbite. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. He said in an interview on a bearded gentleman music that uh, the Loving Poppers Lions record is is an underrated record. Oh, that's that's very sweet of him. Yeah, and he's right too. It's a great record. Thank you very much. Yeah, let's talk about a song on there called "Let's Not Rewind." Okay, heard this song before from a different band. Right, right, right. Uh, they were called Jorge and the Landladies. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jorge and the Landladies. That was a. That was was that a one-off album that you did or? Yeah, that was just. Um, I was sort of. I was no longer touring with the Pie Tasters. I was sort of. There was sort of kind of like tour fatigue, if I'm, I'm being honest. And that, and I actually was ha- going through some like health stuff with my hearing. I was. Uh, I was potentially not going to be able to hear out of my left, my right ear. So I, that's kind of what that record's about, actually. It's about you potentially losing your hearing, really? Yeah, not not all of it, but that's sort of like why that record came to be. Um, mono bound, because I was like, oh. uh, mono bound, man. I was like, that's, that's it. Go back to mono. Brian Wilson style, I guess. I was just like sort of rationalizing the, what was seemingly about to happen. Um yeah, that song, I don't, yeah, I, we did, I did that. And that record is mostly, it's pretty much me playing all the instruments other than the drums, which are my, my buddy Kurt from the uh, Poppers plays drums and Rob from the Pie Tasters. And then we have uh, the players' horns are on there. Um, but other than that, it's just kind of another, another vanity project. How would you land on the name The, the Landladies? I don't remember. I just wanted to, I don't remember. I liked it and I still like it, frankly. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, there was no band. So I was like, let's just call it the landladies. I don't know. I just, it seemed random and I liked it. I like bands that, uh, and titles that like are, are confusing and, and produce more questions than answers. All right. <laughs> I just do. I don't know. I, I don't know. So that tune, I think uh, there's a couple of tunes on that record that are on that, on the... Uh, on lines, on yeah. Lines, yeah. So when you started, I, I assume you started Loving Poppers? Um, the Loving Poppers sort of grew out of the ashes of another group. And like that group needed a singer. And I knew Kelly. I knew Kelly was the singer for DiFilippo from the uh, Loving Poppers. She had like a very... Uh, she had just a, a voice that I thought would sound really good over heavy reggae rhythms. What was the band that uh, the that Loving Poppers grew out of? Um, it was a band called uh, shit, uh, Kaz and the Day Laborers. Oh, okay. this is just, you know Kaz. Yeah, yeah. So, so so we have the Landladies and the Day Laborers. See, I was like I was like on a roll there. <laughs> I think it was like a, a very Latino band. So we were like, we're going to call it the Day Laborers. And uh, yeah, and it just kind of imploded for reasons that I, that aren't my fault. <laughs> but uh, so let's just <laughs> say some members of the band were not were not really jiving very well. And we were like literally going to go into the studio in, in like two days. And it's sort of imploded. But um, So a lot of the tunes that are on that lines would have probably been on that. Actually, no, because we did another record before we did Lines, actually. We did our, our an EP, which which I think is just the Loving Poppers EP or whatever. It's got like three tunes on it with some dubs. 
bringing the landlady's song or songs to loving poppers was that just kind of a like hey i got some songs and we need some songs or did you just kind of thought yeah, it was just like i mean it was just like no one has ever heard these songs so we might as well like <laughs> do them like i'm i'm not i'm not very good at self-promotion that's just like not my strength my you know i i like making up tunes but then like i just kind of assume someone's gonna knock on my door and ask ask hand me a check or something um so yeah it was never really i mean honestly there's still a couple on there that like we've discussed possibly doing you know it's interesting to listen to like let's take let's not rewind listen to yeah. the uh the landlady's version and then listen to the loving poppers version and they're both they have different vibes but it's very clearly the same song yeah yeah well i think the 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 one the solo one on the landlady's one there's like a lot of like backwards guitar and stuff you know mm-hmm. trying to do yeah my hendrix thing or whatever it's kind of looser too but then, then the poppers is it's got a very i don't know the poppers sound is like kind of kind of melancholy but also has a pretty pretty strong rock steady groove to it yeah yeah I th- it's the same drummer actually oh really huh yeah I would be interested to ask Curtis if he played them differently. He would know. I think a lot of the sound of the lines record is um, Mellotron. You guys know Mellotron keyboards. Like, do you guys know anything about Mellotrons or whatever? It's very like Beatlesy thing. A lot of like just Beatles instrumentation, really. So Mellotron is a, is a is a '60s keyboard. Well, it's like a, it's like a early um, synthesizer, and that it's like um, it's got like every time you press a key there's like in within the keyboard there's like a little tape that plays like an eight second recording of of like a violin section playing that note or whatever so if you listen to like the beginning of strawberry fields or even like the strings on a lot of uh you know stairway to heaven or whatever the flute on stairway to heaven or the strings on tuesday's gone by leonard skinner just like a lot when people people use them a lot then so we just you know, we use a lot of Mellotron on that record. I think that's a lot of the the sound of that record is mm. is the Mellotron. It has that like sort of woody sound or something. It's like something almost like spooky and noiry or something about it. Yeah, yeah. I love the Mellotron, man. For me, for my money, all day with the Mellotron. Like it was hard to not just put it on just everything ever, always, always. You know. <laughs> I we call I call it the Shire House Rock, actually as opposed to the firehouse rock, because it's sort of like of middle earth. It's, 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 it's a little hobbity. <laughs> the song, um, enemy of history. I think that's probably my yeah. favorite song on the record. History is an argument without an end is a good line. And then the main chorus, nostalgia will always be the enemy of history. Yeah. I'm curious if you had any like real anything that prompted the, this sort of thought because to me when I hear it I kind of it strikes me as like I think about people that um you know make America great again or you know stuff like that where it's like I want right, to go right. back to simpler times but you know their 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 thought process is clouded by nostalgia they're not looking at history with um clear eyes that's kind of what it makes me think about. That certainly works. Honestly, it's this more general, just nostalgia, you know. Uh, I think I was reading a lot of, um, not like 
of, of nonfiction, some of the better nonfiction writers from the 20th century, Barbara Tuckman and <clears throat> Fawn Brody, all these, and even just like um, Tolstoy, just, uh, just how just people's uh, perceptions and their reality is, is based on, um, you know, or what it's based on or like just, uh, yeah. Also that song is my attempt at trying to write tango lyrics. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm from Argentina and like tango looms large in my, um, just my mom always like, I don't, you know, tango to most people who don't know anything about it, just think it's just like you put a rose in your mouth and you walk back and forth, you know, dancing. But like the lyrics are usually pretty deep and like sort of uh, philosophical or existential or fatalistic. So that was just my attempt at writing a tango lyric, really. Interesting. I love that you think that. And I've had a lot of people tell me that specifically about that tune about, you know, the good old days or whatever. But I, I, I do think when I, I wasn't thinking specifically even of any like um, political or I just like generally, that's just the way it is. Always, always, always. It's always nostalgia is the enemy of history, man. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, well, it, it's a big thought. So there's a lot of directions you could take that thought. You worked with Victor Rice on the record. Yeah. Yeah. Victor puts his, his, sauce on it always you know yeah um he takes it like to outer space (laughs) how does he take it to outer space um well i think he like filters it through uh sao paulo brazil and then i mean you know you'd have to ask him that specifically how he does it but there are a lot of echoes every once in a while like i'll listen to it before what he did to it and i'm like oh no this is he really he really you know Improved. He improves it quite a bit. So, so the textures of the song, like he, he kind of. Yeah. And then he like actually does live dubs, you know, and then sometimes we'll like take a portion of his live dub and cut it into the, the real thing, like the album track or whatever. So like for every tune, we have several, we have a lot of dub takes that are just like live dub takes. Yeah. And you released a dub version of lions as well. Right. Right. Everything he's ever done with us. We have like, Oh, you want dub? We got dub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could, I could, yeah, we got a lot of it, you know, and sometimes you, yeah. So, and I think, I think we'll probably, I'll, we'll probably always do that. Cause I think our, our music lends itself to it. Just, it's just like such a brooding, you know, we do what we do. If you don't like us in the first five minutes, dude, you're not going to like us. Like we, you know, we play our thing and we, and we stay in that lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like sometimes we'll play ska shows and I'm like, well, half of them are going to love us, but everyone else is going for a beer, which is fine. Like we're not, we're not giving them the hep hep. <laughs> no, you, 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 <laughs> you got a vibe and you still, you stay to the stay with that vibe. Yeah. We just, we don't we're like, we're, there's always the argument. Do we pander? Do Shall we pander? Shall we pander? We're like, no, fuck that. This is what we do. If you don't like it, we you know, Next bands in 45 minutes. I would be curious to see what a uh, pander set would look like. It would be very subtle and like seemingly completely the same, but we would be arguing on band threads about it like extensively, but like no one else would even, it would be like probably like four BPMs per minute on one song, a little bit faster. (laughs) We're totally pandering. 
Oh man, I can't believe we're selling out. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because like we, I mean, we're not a ska band. I mean, we at all. I mean, like we're ska and it's and as much as ska is a like umbrella term for all Jamaican music after it and you know or just even just like people who know Jamaican music history uh so we're definitely that but we don't really play ska at all yeah but yeah I would I would agree with that first part though that it fits under the the general umbrella like the same way like you know rock bands are you know everything from Aerosmith to Cannibal Corpse right 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 um, and the ska community has been very, very nice to us, and we thank them as a whole. Thank you, ska community. Do you play reggae shows with reggae bands? And we do sometimes. How do those shows go compared to the ska shows? Probably, probably better, <laughs> or probably. I mean, it depends on the reggae too. Like, are you playing with like <clears throat> bro reggae bands, or are you playing with like actual like reggae icons? Or the you know, there's. I, I will say that like I feel I feel completely confident with the band when we whatever kind of show we play I'm like okay well if they like us cool if they don't it's all good because I feel I feel good about what we're doing so um, but yeah I think the reggae reggae people I mean I think we they've enjoyed it it would seem to me like a lot of a lot of people that would be fans would be um, people who are knowledgeable about Jamaican music history. Uh, I, I do find that to be the case when just, but I, one thing I do keep hearing is that we are the preferred band of the significant others of those people that you're talking about. Like, so like, oh. you know, a lot about reggae, but like, uh, you know, you got to go on vacation and your wife does not want to hear that record again. Okay. We will, we are the compromise band. Okay. We can listen to the loving popper. <laughs> I, I've heard that. I've heard that multiple times that. Oh, my boyfriend, oh, my wife actually thinks you guys are all right. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a good sign. That's a good sign. That means you, that means you're, you have like general appeal. I don't know. Maybe I think Kelly's voice is, is, you know, hypnotic and alluring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, people have called us like indie reggae and all, all kinds. Of, um, Chuck at Jump Up says that we are, let me see. I have to get this right. Melancholy roller skating reggae. That's us. Roller skating <laughs> reggae, yeah. Rob, sorry, I'm sorry. Melancholy roller skating rink reggae. Big difference. Yeah. So I think that speaks to like the hypnotic nature of it, you know, like you're just going in circles and circles. Do you like roller skating? I actually don't know how to. Damn, really? I've never done it. No, I didn't. I, I was very, I, I, I was raised by sheltered argentine city folk they like and there was no roller rink i don't know about roller rinks but i but it's just like you cannot leave in the house you're not going to learn how to swim like you're barely going to know how to ride a bike like i yeah i don't have a lot of those those skills those those extracurriculars i those pass me by i'm afraid man you should try out roller skating it's great i maybe it's never too late i think i just want to provide the music for the rinks i think that's where the money is yeah yeah but I feel like it's worth going around the rink once or twice. I don't, I don't want, I don't like to conspicuously fail in front of people. And I think it would just be like, around the edge. (laughs) You'll be fine. Just hold on to the edge. All right. All right. All right. I'm in. (laughs) That's a lie, by the way. (laughs) That's a lie. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the new record is called Ladders. Yeah. When does that release? That releases with the um, Supernova Ska Festival. Oh. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong date because I believe it's September 15th, but it might be September 14th. Oh my goodness. I should know that. But uh, like that weekend, September, let's say September 15th. Okay. And then y'all are playing Supernova? We are. We're playing the Friday night after party. Which, um, I've been telling Tim, Tim and April forever, like, we want to play the after party. You know, this is like since they started doing this. I was like, we don't want to play the festival. We want to play, you know, we want to play for the bands, basically. Because that's what I thought, who dig us? I'd be like, the bands are going to dig us. Let's play. So they finally, and they finally doing the after party. Thank goodness. And we're playing with Westbound Train on Friday. And then the next Saturday, we're playing sometime, I think around noon or something in like the festival proper. And I, if you want to know about our pandering to the ska fans, yeah, that is, we're trying to play kind of different sets. And, and the, the festival is our pander fest, our pander set, which means the songs are like mid-tempo as opposed to dirges <laughs> <laughs> that tell you about history lessons. Yeah. (laughs) So albums coming out that same weekend. Yeah, man. Rather than giving people a little bit of time to know the songs beforehand. Oh no. Well, there will be singles. Gotcha. Ahead of that. When you, when are we, when is this going to be a, this is live. live already. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, can we get a call? Can we get a, the oboe player? If we have the oboe player online, online too. Oboe player line one. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, there will be some singles, and you know we're gonna we're not just we'll be playing all the hits. Yeah, from our previous, you know, the albums everyone knows every word to. You know, so. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the recording of this record. Uh, when did was this something that um, you had been working on a, a while, or is this more of a recent project? Well, no, the, it was definitely like COVID definitely was a factor, and that we we. I was looking at like set lists and there are songs from this record that we were playing like before, you know, we were like getting set to go in the studio and then COVID happened. Mm. So it kind of halted everything. But even like there's a, a track on the record, which is more of like a sling ting, like uh, electronic sounding one. And that's like a total COVID song because we couldn't get together. So we, um, we did that. And then, God, how long did we record this? I don't remember. I should know that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say about eight months ago we recorded it. I see. Okay. And why did why did you call it Ladders? Um, why do you think it's called Ladders? Man, I have no idea. For a second, I thought when Aaron said it, I thought it was Ladders, like L-A-T-E-R. Like, see, that's what I even like it. See, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want you to think <laughs> Ladders. Like, that's that's what I want, man. That's what I'm always going for. I want, and you know, I want you to get. I want you to be thinking it's ladder, like Latter Day Saints, like mm-hmm. forever, and then you realize, oh, isn't that? So I, um, I think just ladders, <clears throat> you know, ladders go up and down. That's it. That's all I'll say. So do stairs. That's true, but stairs were taken. <laughs> <laughs> First move when you when you when you name an album or a band is you go right on Spotify and you start looking at what's what's available. Hey, this band only has. They have less than a thousand hits. We can call it that. <laughs> I love that. I like how it's like uh, 
lines, ladders, very just simple. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. Now, and I'm like, oh, we got to think of a third elf word for the next one. I know. Latrines. I don't know. Mm, maybe not that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's not the <laughs> kind of clientele we want. Although maybe that, maybe that's like a very niche market we should be. Plus, you know, my whole history with urine and scar and buses. Good point. That was like a little classic callback right there. <laughs> yeah. Way to bring it full circle. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. I got it. I got it. <laughs> So I just want to go back to uh, the Jorge and the Landlady's record again real quick. Sure. You said at the time you were facing what you felt like was a hearing loss, complete hearing loss in one of your ears. Yeah. So what, what ended up happening? You didn't lose your hearing in one ear? Well, I was just put on like these steroids, <clears throat> basically like the, I don't know, the canal or whatever in my ear. This is, I'm sorry to all the the ear doctor is listening to this. Uh, this like it's, it was swollen or something swelled up. So it basically sounded like I had horrible pressure in my ear and, uh, and it just sounded like white noise. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, and the doctor was like, this may never go away. So, but it went away. So that's a happy ending. And my hearing is great. And the album is in stereo, the tambourine to the right. <laughs> How long did it take before this to return? It was honestly like it wasn't even that long. It, it was probably maybe like a couple of months, wow. but uh, but it was like you know it was pretty bad. It was or I was like seemingly bad. I was just having to imagine mixing by putting a headset up to one ear. You know. Mm. Well, I mean, hearing loss is nothing that you know. It's nothing great for anybody, but when you're a musician, yeah, it's like it's like your life and your passion that you're you're potentially going to be altering or losing. Yeah, it was it was bad. I was definitely a weepy little bitch. I was definitely crying <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was pretty upset about it, but I was. It was right when I started getting sort of like used to the idea. Actually, I remember I was in the pie taster van. And um, it was like all noisy and I just wanted to go to sleep. So I just put my good ear against the side of the van and let my bad ear go. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, okay, there's, that's kind of a benefit. Like I can't hear anything right now. And then like the next day it started coming back. Mm. Did this experience, you said that the, the, the Jorge and the landlady's record was sort of ex- inspired by that. Did you like literally feel inspired to write an album because of it? Or was it that you were already working on this album and you just felt like this experience was going into it? A couple of the tunes are specifically about that. I mean, I was always going to write an album because I'm probably always going to be trying to write something, you know, and that's just what was going on then. It's not like every song is about my, my hearing loss, but there are a few that are. What are the songs about your hearing loss on that record? Well, there's one called, jeez, uh, man, I don't even remember the names of the songs, to be honest. Um, Monobound, okay. I think there's one. Uh, and I think even the, the first one, which is sort of like a, a black exploitation theme from Monobound, this is, mm-hmm. you're taking me back with this, man. 
I think I say, don't be fooled by the surround sound. I'm, I say, don't be fooled by the surround sound. I don't even know what that means, really. But there were just like little things in there about just the, me and and my my sad state at the time. Mm-hmm. But I honestly would have to look at the tracks. I don't. I don't even remember like exactly which ones they are. I probably should have listened to it. The record is a great record, by the way, and I encourage everyone to go back and listen to uh, this record. Oh yeah, I think it's like available now to stream or something. Like even that was. Yep. I, I never even thought to do that. Like I'm so stupid. <laughs> We're making progress. Well, you told me, you know, I uh, that you were listening to that record. It definitely blew my mind. I was like, my mom doesn't know this record exists. I was like, this guy, this guy knows his shit. Oh my god! <laughs> Let's dig into your Decepticons shame. Any any like lyrics or songs or music that you feel particular embarrassment from? <laughs> Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Scott, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.